Hi, I'm Matt, and you are listening to Real Things That Really Matter. Our heart in this show is to open up the floor to conversation about topics in the Bible and Christianity that may be hard to understand, and to see them from different perspectives. I know that we don't always agree on some things, but we feel that we should be able to ask questions and listen to each other as we walk through this life following Jesus. So sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy as we venture into another conversation on real things that really matter. Welcome to another episode of Real Things That Really Matter. I'm Mike. I'm Matt. And today we're going to tackle a pretty serious debate, a pretty serious topic. Um, And I just want to say we do not enter into this lightly. We have discussed this at length, and we believe that this is a safe place that we can bring this up. And I hope, viewer or listeners, if you are tuning in today, that you will keep an open mind and you will contact us with questions and concerns and whatever it is that you have to say, we are completely willing to walk through this with any and all of you. So here we go. What's the topic we're going to talk about? Oh yeah. Is homosexuality a sin? Yes. That's a big one. Especially in this day and age right now. Okay. So the bottom line And this is also up for debate. If you look up um, any mainstream website, which you did today and and I've done before and I've done some research and there's some very compelling um, arguments that no, it is not. But I believe the Bible says, yes, homosexuality is a sin. Yeah. And if there's not a lot of Bible verses, I'd actually... Uh, deal with this topic. There's like less than 10, I would say, in the whole Bible. And the word homosexuality or gay is never mentioned. Yes. The the actual terms that we use today. Well, and I... Now, homosexuality is actually mentioned in... Uh, Paul writes about it. Yeah, but when you take it from the original text of the King James or the or the Greek, there's nearly no word that comes out that says True. homosexuality. Says it doesn't man shall not lie with a man. Right. It doesn't necessarily use in the original text and never uses that word right. because that word didn't exist. Right. That's pretty much the easiest way to say it. So it. it it's a very hot topic. Um, there's been a lot of damage done, I believe, between the church and the LGBTQ communities um, in the being outcast, especially yeah. when it was starting to become something in the 80s, I believe. It was starting to really be a time of coming out. Right. And most Christian households would completely disown the child if that was ever brought up. They right. were left on their own. They were kicked to the street. Yes. And and essentially just said, no, no, there's no hope for you. You're going to hell. You've crossed the line and there's nothing that can be done. Get out. Right. And there's, how heartbreaking is that? That's not right. And that's not the Christian way. And we both know that. And that's, that is incorrect. And just because someone sins differently than you do doesn't make their sin any worse or better than yours. And so, you know, it kind of goes into, well, it kind of starts as a question, is it a sin? But I believe the better question is how do we, 
how do we go about interacting in this, in this time in a loving way, in a way that I think Jesus would interact with somebody who says that they are gay? Um, how do we do that? How do we do that well? That's a really good question. We should talk about that. Because it's a very simple thing to say, well, yeah, I think it is. But then again, um, you know, we don't necessarily make the hot topic of sin of the one who is a closet alcoholic. How about the one who uh, is living with his girlfriend? Right. How about the one who the teenagers that are fooling around in the backseat of the car? I, these are all of the same degree of quote unquote sin. And yet... We seem to put the homosexuality one on a pedestal and there's been so much damage and I've heard so many people say, but well, but yeah, but, but there's just no repentance there. Well, you know, I can say in my own life that if somebody would have come against me when I was drinking and at many times they did as I was drinking, I would just say, well, screw you then. If I'm already so far lost, then what's the point of changing? Okay. Well, let's, let me speak into that. So try to look at it from the the same sex union person's point of view and they're they're saying well I was born this way right god made me this way mm, yeah so therefore it must be okay right okay well mike do you think that you were genetically predisposed to be an alcoholic um, I think I have a stronger, uh, addiction type of personality than some to certain okay. things, but, and I would agree. And I would think I would think the same thing about me, but I don't necessarily know that. I think I was predisposed to be addicted to God. Yeah. yeah I think I was, I was predisposed to be addicted to substances as well, but no, to God, oh, to he God. wants me to be addicted. Oh, to God. To be sold out completely but not to th something that's man-made. Correct. And we're all, we all have the, the you know, the, the God-shaped uh, cavity in our, in our bodies, in our, in our soul. Yes, as and they say, yeah. Yes, yes. So, but here's, here, to speak into the, you know, what did you say to somebody that tells you I was born this way? This goes deeper. This goes much, much deeper than just um, trying to disprove well, I was born this way because here's the God thing. God made me this way. Right. God made me this way. They're being told this from what? Before kindergarten now. Mm -hmm. It's been insidiously put into our culture that we teach our young ones this in almost every area of their lives that, uh, well, if you are feeling this way, then this is who you are and this is how you were made and you can't change that. Yeah. Now, if I tell a five-year-old that they're Superman long enough, they're going to jump off the couch and try to fly. <laughs> totally would. Right? Correct. If I tell a seven-year-old that they can be evil Knievel, if they just try hard enough, they're going to try and jump the pickup in their backyard on their little bike. Yeah. If I'm teaching children this at such a young age and it gets younger and younger and younger... How hard is it to unlearn something, Matt? Yeah. And if you're introduced to alcohol at a very young age and you're and you drink it all the time at a very young age because of the environment you're in, 
you know what? There's a good chance you're going to be an alcoholic. Yeah. In in unlearning what we're, we've learned, let's just go with something basic. What did you learn as a kid growing up in church that is something you don't necessarily agree with now, but you can't get it out of your head? Let's see. I know mine is, I need to work harder for God. Oh, you have to earn your salvation? Not essentially earn it, but if I'm not doing enough, then I'm not... Essentially, yeah, I guess it boils down to that. But if I'm not doing enough, then I'm not earning my way in the kingdom. Works-based, uh, yeah, it's it's something that's really hard to get out of my head. Right. And I know better. I teach better. I preach better. But yet... It's something I have to continuously fight against in my mind because it's something I learned one way or another, whether it was my own um, perception of what was being taught or however it came about. It's something that I learned and I cannot just unlearn it. And so if I'm being taught something as a child and it's, it's culturally accepted and all of my peers are living this way, and all of my respected teachers, the ones that I'm told to listen to and, and soak in the information, if all of them are telling me this, why wouldn't I believe that this is just how I am? Yeah. So you're saying, in a way, it's not brainwashing, but nurturing a type of belief that may, may not be correct. Yes. And I'm saying that, okay, so this goes to um, kind of back to what we said in the, in the beginning when this all started to become a really big issue. And, I, and I'm saying the 80s, and I could be wrong with the time frame, but um, when it was just, okay, you're outcast, you're disowned, you're abandoned, you're too far gone, there was such a, a hurt created that we can't even address somebody that professes being gay or lesbian. We can't even address them in the church anymore. We say that, Oh, you can come in. You're welcome. But a lot of times, and I'm not saying this as like one specific person, I'm saying church as a whole, generally you're going to immediately go to the person that you obviously know that they're coming in as a same sex couple. And you're going to go to the fire and you're going to say you're wrong. Right. And the only reason you would do that is because it's their sin is more obvious than other sins from your other members. And yeah, I could say that, but I've definitely watched people walk in that I've known were drunk in mm-hmm. church. Right. And that's, that's an obvious one. Sure. I don't necessarily cast them out right away. Well, I no, and I don't sure think we should that cast they're safe out. And no, I make yeah, sure that right. things are going on that isn't, um, going to hurt them or, or people around them, but it isn't something that is called out. How about the person that you know has been gossiping about others in your congregation? Right. Do you call them out? You should. With, you should. With but two do or, we all the time? Two or three others. And yeah. I've definitely seen that be ignored more often than not. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. But here's my point is for some reason with, with this, we, we tend to put it on a higher pedestal of badness, as it were. Right. And I think that's just because the nature of it and the, because it's, it's more obvious. Maybe. Perhaps. 
Maybe. Perhaps she doesn't, doesn't, I mean, because you can see it in the church and I don't necessarily, it, it just, it's easier to discern this. So how do we do it well? How do we, how do we show the love of Christ as we would to anybody else that was in our sphere of influence? How will we show the love of Christ well and allow him to be the one that does the conviction, the Holy spirit do the work. Right. And I, I would say we need to go back to the Bible and see what the Bible actually does say about it. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, go ahead. And, and I go to it all the time. And it's the story when Jesus has the lady that's caught in adultery right. at his feet. The, Ah, uh-huh, sure. Okay, right? yeah. And so yeah. the Pharisees catch her, and it says, in the act of adultery, they so catch her. So she was her. probably naked. So there was a lot of shame happening in this yeah. situation, because somehow they caught her in the act. The only way I know that you can actually be caught in the act is, well... She was doing it. Yeah, you yeah. were kind of doing the no-no. She was in the act, yeah. yeah. And so they grab her somehow, and who knows, they threw a blanket over her, they just drug her uh, yeah. through the streets, knowing... They had every right by law to stone her to death. Like, and this threw her is at his death. feet in the dirt in front of Jesus and, and said, here, what are we going to do with her? Yeah. And so this is like the taboo thing of the culture. Like you cannot commit adultery. You cannot do this. It's shameful. It's an abomination. It is hideous. And they throw her in all of her shame, in all of her, uh, all of the accusations at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't react it says uh, that he bends down and he starts to write in the dirt. Who knows what that is? It doesn't give us any explanation, but he doesn't react. He just kind of becomes still and silent. I'd almost think that maybe he's listening to the Holy Spirit to say, how do I deal with this right now? Because, wow, I know what's supposed to happen. I know what's written down. Right. But then he looks at them and he says, for those of you who have never sinned, you can throw the first stone. Yep. And it says that at that moment, they all became quiet and they began to leave, starting with the oldest down to the youngest. The oldest knew, yeah, I've lived, I've screwed up. Right. I've definitely, I am not perfect. And then the arrogant, you know, uh, teenagers or whoever, however old they were, Mm -hmm. the youngest, they finally said, okay, yeah, I, I'm not perfect either. So they all ended up leaving. It's not our job to judge anyone. And that's, but. But then here's the thing. Jesus looks at her and says, where are your accusers? Is there no one to condemn you? That's what he says. And she says, no, I, I guess not. And he goes, neither do I. He says, go and sin no more. Correct. But he says, go. Right. He just says, what she did was wrong. You go and sin no more. You don't need to do that anymore. He obviously doesn't want us to live in sin. That's the reason that he died on the cross, was to save us from being slaves to sin. He says, go and sin no more. He tells you and me, go and sin no more. Now, in that moment with that woman, I cannot imagine the relief, the joy, the the acceptance that she felt in that moment of knowing that by law for the last thousand thousand years, she was going to die. 
because that was how it happened. That was what happened when you were caught in this, in this sin. And yet Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Yeah. So how do we take that example and put it into today's society? How do we take that and, and run with it without becoming uh, wishy-washy, but yet knowing how to show love? And I think that there's, there's something to be learned there. Why do I have to tell somebody who's gay that what you're doing is wrong? Do I necessarily have to start the conversation that way? Is that how no, I'm going no. to bring the relationship to get them to desire to actually discover who Jesus is? That's why they've created their own churches. That's why the LGBTQ have created their own, um, their own circles. Because they want acceptance. They want to find Jesus right. in they that group. They don't feel welcome and, you know. But the church has cast them out. Yeah. And it, it, they, we make them feel uncomfortable in, in, the, in the church at, at, at large. When you're doing something that you know is wrong, morally wrong, when you're, when you're a teenager who's having sex with his girlfriend, you know whether or not that you've been told by the church or not that, well, I, you know, I probably shouldn't be doing this till I'm married. It doesn't matter if you've gone to church or not. You know. Right. When you're being a rebellious to your parents, you know it's wrong. When you're, dis, uh, when you're abusing people, you know it's wrong. You don't have to necessarily bring that to the front. You can live with that. You can accept. You know it's there. But how do we draw people to Jesus? What does it say in the Bible? The kindness of God brings repentance. And there's exceptions to all of this. Obviously, there's people who are abusers who definitely don't see that they're doing any wrong. There's people who, there's, there's exceptions. Absolutely. There's always discernment. But as a whole, let's, let's look at this as the way Jesus treated this woman. What would it look like if we showed the same kind of love in today's culture? I agree. I totally agree. And we should meet it with love. We should meet them with love. Everyone who comes to the church we should meet with love. And it shouldn't be prejudiced against, well, that sin's so odd and different to me and I don't understand it. Therefore, it's worse. Right. And you can't come in here. Right. And you know what? I'm in one way or another, either conscious or unconsciously, I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable for coming in this church. Right. And that is totally wrong. And that is not Christ-like. And that should never happen. So I think sometimes the focus is wrong with this question. Is homosexuality a sin? I think, I think that maybe the wrong focus is, well, it's a sin. Now, if I'm doing, if I'm doing a program or if I'm talking to somebody who, um, you know, let's, let's say alcoholic again. Okay. I'm not going to beat him over the head that what you're doing is a sin. Right. They already know they have problems. They already know that there's something going on that they can't explain. They already know that there's, there's, there's something that they want to get past. What if they say, well, I was born this way? I used to say that. Right. I used to say that. I used to say, I'm not going to change. Don't change me. Don't even try. I'm a natural drinker. That's who I am. Yeah, Leave me alone. This is how I'm going to live, and you can't stop me. Right. Ask my wife. I said the exact same thing to her. Wow. I said, don't try and change me. This is who I am. And I am not going to do anything different. Wow. And then I met somebody who didn't come at me about anything I was doing. He came to me 
and showed me who Jesus is. The kindness of God brings about repentance. And again, I say this with, um, with knowing that there is exceptions to how certain people have to or are reached. But looking as a whole, uh, I think the focus doesn't start with what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, I've, I, I have the feeling that you might be gay and that's and that you're in our church. And I think I need to address that. Yeah, you. let me bring these verses up and show yeah, you how abominable you are. And let me tell you what the Bible are. says about it and what you think about that and how you need to change. Right. I think that's the wrong <laughs> focus. The relationship has to be built. People don't care what you say until they know that you care. Yeah. And as a whole, I'm not so sure that in this situation that there's been a showing of care for the person. It's been more focused on the sin. Well, maybe we should look at the Bible, though, what it does say about it. Yeah. Maybe we should read some verses. So it first comes up in Genesis 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sure everyone's familiar with that. That was Sodom and Gomorrah were like two little towns next together that were, <laughs> were wild. And they did all sorts of stuff that God frowned upon. And God... God warned Lot that he was going to destroy the the city, the cities, and he he sent two angels down to Sodom. Yep. To let them know, hey, this is this is going down, and you got to get your family out of here. Yep. Because God's upset with everything that's going on here, and it wasn't just he's coming down to it see wasn't if it wasn't just really homosexuality. There's other things too. Yep. So it says, starting in verse 1 of Genesis 19, the two angels arrived in Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did that they did go with him and entered his his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast as they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. Yeah, and so it was essentially going to be... A horrible gang rape is what you read there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and right there, that puts people off saying, well, you're comparing us to gang raping people. And well, no, that's not what we're saying as, at, at all. But it's the unnaturalness of, of what was going on. Uh, there's a lot of things that are said about Sodom and what was going on. It was kind of like the Las Vegas of the time, I think. <laughs> I think way worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it really talks about the natural and the unnatural relationships in the Bible, like in Romans, uh, in, at the end of Romans chapter one. Yes. Because of this, this is verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Yes. 
And you know, here's 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 the thing is it's really kind of focusing on the sexual impurity, the sexual immorality as um a bigger a bigger issue because it talks about sexual impurity between men and women also in the Bible. See, there's all these things that we we have to look at when we try and talk about this topic instead of trying to one up each sin, I guess. Like, well, that sin's worse than that sin, and so at least I'm better than you are. Right. Um, what is the heart of why sin is a problem? It's all in God's eyes the same. A lie is the same as murder, right? Unforgiveness yeah. is is cancer. Unforgiveness in your heart is spoken about way more in the Bible than this topic. Yeah, it is. These are these are like seven verses here in the whole Bible that deal with this. Right. And yet we make we make more issue of somebody who's gay than we do of somebody who's got a grudge. Right. And totally. so I, again it, it brings me back to um I think we're focusing on the wrong thing. And you know it says it in chapter two, right after right after Paul writes what he did at the end of, of one in his letter there. Okay. Um you know, he says, and, and since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, this is verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind to what ought not to be done. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, mal- maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is talking about the whole culture, not... Um, not just about the unnatural relations. That's just where it ended up. He gave them up to the lust of their heart because they were continuing to rebel against him. Reading from the entire verse. And he's writing to the Jews in Rome, but then he says in verse two, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. That's the hardest thing we've got. And that's what we have to see is, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to disciple. Yes. As a Christ follower, I'm supposed to disciple others, not judge others. And when I judge them, I can't disciple them. Discipling means that I'm bringing you into the presence of Jesus, into his hope, into his word, and the things that he has taught so that his spirit can do the work inside of them as he did in me. Correct. How do and I disciple somebody? I have to have a relationship. Yeah. How do I have a relationship? You have to love them. I have to love them and get to know them and walk in the mess that we call life. Right. And I was like... I don't walk in here and say, gee, Mike, you're, ho- you're a horrible person because you used to drink too much. Yeah. I would never say that. I never even thought that. Well, some that's, why not? I mean. It never it occurred to me. should be on the same, on the same and level. And if you were gay, I wouldn't say, me, gee, Mike, you're a horrible person because you're gay. So I think that that approach as a whole in the church, if we could just see the person. Yeah. The humanity. Just as Jesus saw the woman who was sown at his feet. He knew she had sinned. He knew she had sinned in a, in a pretty intentional, not so good way. Correct. You don't accidentally commit adultery. 
Yeah, it just Oops. doesn't happen. Accidentally, Oops. Oops. accidentally had sex with that guy. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen. And so he knew, and yet he said, go sin no more. Get to know me. Follow me. Learn how much I love you. Let me show you your best life. Let Jesus take care of the sin. We yeah. don't have to, I don't have to judge you and I don't, and I don't want to judge you. No. And I'm not going to judge you. No, I, that's, that's, that's not my job. Exhausting. Yes. I would, that would be way too much responsibility for me. Yeah. I've had, and that's, I don't, that's why I broached this subject with hesitation. Right. It's a touchy one. For Cause it sure. really doesn't sound like we've, um, answered anything. <laughs> Other right. than, well, yeah, I believe it's wrong. I, I do. I do believe it's wrong. It's clear. It's clearly a sin in the Bible, and it talks about it in the seven verses that it does talk about it. It clearly states it's a sin. That being said, I'm not judging anyone. How do we How do, we do life well with, yeah. with this, with this and I, it, with a group of people that have been cast out and, and hurt? And it's just continued to fester and grow because there hasn't been any type of reaching out. And I know I'll get pushed back on that as well. There's people that say, well, we've reached out. We've done that. We've done this. And I'm not saying individually. I'm saying as a whole, when I say church, I'm not saying certain churches. I'm not saying my church. I'm not saying your church. I'm saying church means the Christian community as a whole, because if we look at the, at the, dissension and the divided place that we are now, there's such a rift there. There's such a hurt and it just keeps to seemingly get bigger. Yeah. And it's not our job to exclude any certain group. We need to include all groups. It's about inclusion, not exclusion. Jesus wants the whole world. Yes. He wants everyone to have a relationship with him. God loved the whole world that he sent his only son. That whosoever should believe in him. Who? Whosoever. Who? Whosoever (laughs) should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So I I think when we can have that mission, the same mission that Jesus gives us, not to judge but to disciple, not to condemn but to love, it may it may change how we see certain things. Oh, it totally would. I know in my life, and that's what I hold on to, that if if I'd had one more person come and tell me that what I was doing was wrong and I better shape up, I'd have written it all off. But God knew the right one to send. He knew the right person to put in my path. Correct. The right two people, my wife and the guy she introduced me to, Frank. Yeah. And... It was through the kindness and love that he showed me. He showed me Jesus on earth. He showed me the love of Christ through his actions. And did he speak truth into my life? Absolutely. Did he tell me that uh, he agreed with how much I drank? No. He, he would, in a loving way, after we had a relationship, start to tell me, you know, there's a better life for you. But he always led me to Jesus. And I think that's the thing. Yeah, You can't do that without getting messy. You can't do that without getting into life with somebody. You can't do that without seeing their humanity and loving the person and not beating them over the head with what they're doing wrong. Yeah. (laughs) That is not the way to do it. That is not the way to do it. 
So, well, I don't know if we, uh, again, I don't know if we solved any of the world's problems. I, know I love the is, example that you, that you, that you did with the adulterous woman. I mean, that's totally the way Jesus would approach it. And that's the way we should approach it. And, uh, that he, he sets a perfect example for us. And, you know, just because there, someone sins differently than you do doesn't mean that it's worse or better. Right. We all sin. I still have my own issues. Right. <laughs> I, I certainly have mine. And, and I, we all know that. I know that this is the conviction that I have about uh, how to do this well, in, in my opinion. And I hope it resonates with some. Um, and again, I'm, I'm open to hearing comments or further questions uh, via email or on our Facebook page. So please reach out. Um, my goal is to spread the love of Jesus the best way that I can. And that's what we're here to do. Yeah. Thank you guys. God bless you. God bless. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you have been challenged to study God's word, to find out what it says and to build on what you believe. Our heart is to help create a desire in you to draw closer to Jesus. If you would like to contact us with questions or comments, email us at MikeMattRealThings at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform to stay in the know of what we are doing. Again, thanks for joining us today. May God bless you and keep you. See you next time.